All right, I'm pumped about today. We are in a series called The House. And I know that's a weird title on it because, um, you know, when you usually say that, you're thinking about either your family's lifestyle or the church house. Well, I've told you for several weeks now, the house accompanies a lot of things. Like when you go to fill out certain applications or things, it says household. you got to put, you know, number of your household. And, you know, one person can be a house. You know, your family can be a house. Your, uh, the church here is the house. A city has a, a courthouse, you know, represents a city. The state government, uh, the United States has a white house, and it represents the, you know, your, every, the house represents. So every one of these principles we're teaching in this series can be applied and incorporated in any part of your life. I'm preaching them on the topic of the house, and we're taking some of the slants from the church, also my family, my personal life, my spiritual walk, you know, our city, our government. So just laying out the the, the photo of what this is. Today is going to be called a house of prayer. But before I do, Wallace, i got to give credit where credit's due. Wallace done brought in some amazing people with him this morning. Y'all must think he's a lot better looking than I do to drive nine hours from Texas. <laughs> See, a pastor from Church of God, you said? Tell us where you're from again. Tell me. I'm from Midland, Texas. Midland, Texas. Dallas. Awesome. Give them a big hand clap. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I hate getting put on the spot, but I want to give honor honors too. And I can barely see up there. So what, what, what's the name of your church? Uh, Faith Temple Church of God in Christ. Faith Temple Church of God in Christ. Praise God. Well, thank you, guys. Just man. Well, thank you guys for being with us today. Well, we're the Victory Church, and it's what we believe. We're the place for visitors become members, our family. And so you be family with us today. Cool? Awesome. Yes, ma'am. Pippin Church. All right. Well, thank you for being with us today. Well, we're going to have a great service. Hopefully, you will be touched, moved by God, and um, you overlook the speaker. Here we go. Today we're going to be talking about the house, and it's going to be called the house of prayer. All right? So, Matthew 21, 12, I want to jump right into the teaching on it, and then uh, we'll go, I'm going to break it down. You're going to get lost a couple times in this message, but I promise at the end you will come together and make sense. That's what happens when you have an ADD preacher. We go all the way around before we come back to the top. All right, it says, and then Jesus went into the temple of God, and he drove out all those who, who bought and sold in that temple and overturned the tables of money changers and the seats and seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. And it says, But you have made it a den of thieves. I want to talk just a few minutes today. You know, prayer is probably the most important investment of your time you can do as a believer. Thank you for standing like that. that, that you know, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I'm kind of laid back, and I know a lot of churches, their tradition is to stand for the reading of the Word, because that comes out of the Bible. That's what they did. They stood in the tent when the reading of the Word. But um, thank you. That's, I, that honored me, and honored God's Word. So awesome. I just not, I, I, I don't know how to do things right. We just know how to serve God passionately. It's basically the way it goes. I... Uh, but um, so it, the two things here, you know, usually when I'm teaching on prayer, 
I, I like to go back and start the principles and the fundamentals of prayer because of this. In the book of James, the Bible says that you can pray wrong. As a matter of fact, this is what it says. It says their prayers were not answered because they were praying amiss. Now, there are certain principles of prayer that if you don't have, your prayers aren't being answered. That's why it said praying amiss means they were praying and it was wrong. They were praying right. So you can pray right and you can pray wrong. Now, like, for example, one of the instances or fundamentals of prayer is this. How many of you guys pray think? You pray think. All right? Now, let me let you in on a secret. And I, I, I spent most of my life pray thinking. I, I, would, I would think if I would wake up in the middle of the night and just be sitting there thinking the things I'm talking to the Lord about. But, you know, that's not prayer. That's prayer thinking. Because the Bible says real clearly, when Jesus said, Master, teach us to pray. Jesus said, when you pray. So he's about to tell us how to do it. The first thing he says, he says, say. And so, when you're, if you're prayer thinking, it's good. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. But, you know, I want to put this before you. The best way to get prayers answered is to pray the way Jesus said pray. Right. And if I'm prayer thinking, that's thinking positive. I'm, I'm sure I'm thinking. But the Bible says that my mouth can determine the direction of my life. And when I use my tongue and my mouth and my voice to pray, it goes out and accomplishes what God has got. So let me put a challenge before you. The next time you catch yourself pray thinking, start doing it out loud. And see if some of the prayers that you're praying don't begin to be answered at a quicker level. Because it says their prayers were not answered because they're praying to me. Let me ask you this. How many guys pray to Jesus? All right? That's talking to Jesus. That's not praying to Jesus. Because Jesus said, when you pray, again, we're about to give us the directions on how to do this thing. In other words, I talk to Jesus all the time. I thank Him. I, you know what I'm saying? I, I tell Him I love Him. But that's not praying. Praying is doing what Jesus did. And He said, when you pray, say, our Father. He didn't say, when you pray, say me. That would have been weird for him to say that. He said, prayer, Father. So I talk to Jesus. I talk to the Holy Spirit. But I pray to Father. All right? So there are principles and keys. And over the next several weeks, we, we may have, that's not what I want to share today. What I want to share today is, you know, as a house of prayer, what could possibly be going on that is stopping some of the things that I've been praying about so hard and so long? From being answered. Because in this story that I just read you, God opened up a, a, a neat insight that I think a lot of people don't understand and don't see. He said this, My house should be called a house of prayer. Prayer is the greatest investment of time on this earth that you can do. Prayer is an exchange. Nothing happens on earth from heaven unless it first was prayed for here. So the Bible says, you have not because you ask not. All right? So anything God is doing on the earth has been prayed by or prayed for by someone. The very reason you're in this room 
and you're sitting and you're living for the Lord is because someone in your life or before you prayed for you. God's hands are tied in heaven until a man's willing to turn his heart toward the Lord and pray for it to be done on earth. Prayer is the greatest investment of my time to get God involved in what He's doing here. Did you know that God, um, God is sitting in heaven wanting to do so many things in your life, but He can't do them because we're not praying. It's, this is what the Bible says. Let me read it. In Matthew 6, 8, this is what it says. Check out how it says this. It says, Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things that you have need of before you even ask. He already knows it before you pray. But so you would think God would just do these things for us because we, he, he knows we need it. But check out what it says. So it didn't break it into, he doesn't change topics. He, didn't, he said, God knows what you have before you ask. That's God. Then it says this. So in this manner, therefore, pray. God already knows, yes, but God can't get involved until you pray. And then it says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be your name. And he tells how to pray. Think about this. See, prayer is an exchange. What you offer up, dependency, glory, and honor to him, he brings down the needs and things that you need in your life. If it's not going on in your life, start praying about it. If you need something in your life, Start praying about it. You say, well, God already knows. It's, I don't deny it. I said it right there. I said, God does know. So pray. Prayer has, has to become a major component of who you are. And the thing about it is this. The devil knows this. The devil knows that when you get, he gets a hold of a praying Christian, there's nothing he can stop. The devil knows when someone will invest the time the energy, the heart into prayer, the devil can't keep anything from taking it. Now, he will fight it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in the book of Daniel that Daniel prayed before the Lord. It says when Daniel prayed, it says God heard it. It says he prayed the same thing for 21 days. There are three types of prayers Jesus talked about. Did you know that? He talked about asking, seeking, knocking. You know, a lot of people only know how to do one of those type prayers. They only know how to ask. And really, they're not asking. They're begging. God, please do this. And God, please. The only time they ever talk to God is begging for things. All right? So he should have put begging, but begging don't usually get the answer. That's praying wrong. Asking. You know, but some people only know how to put prayers together that have questions or are asking God for things. But there's more than those kind of prayers. You know, I'm glad we have asking prayers because I can ask God to forgive me for my sins. I don't have to. The Bible says that I can just confess them to Him and He'll be faithful and just. But I ask Him all the time because I, I'm, it humbles me that He's willing to. But then there's, a, there's asking, there's seeking. Do you know, you can pray a prayer without a question. You ever tried it? You ever tried to pray a prayer without a question mark on any of the parts in it? Do you know what they look like? I thank you, Lord. Now, this is a whole other level of prayer. Do you know when Jesus um, got ready to break bread and feed 5,000? Huge need. Oh, I'm sorry, I just saw you back there, Hannah. Augie's here today. The newborn. Awesome. So good to see you, Miss Hannah. But Augie's here, guys. Don't get too close because people got germs. But, man, beautiful baby. You guys should go to their Facebook page and see an up-close look. But it's good to have you back, Miss Hannah. 
I know Daddy's proud to have you sitting there beside you. But congratulations, guys. There's asking prayers, but then there's seeking prayers. Now, seeking prayers don't have a question in it. And Jesus used seeking prayers before miracles. When he got ready, when there was 5,000 hungry people that were needing to eat and they did not have any food, he didn't say, God, please multiply this bread and fish. Then he said he took it and it says he gave thanks. And then he broke the bread. He didn't ask a question for it at all. He already, two key components are he already knew the will of God was that none were to be hungry. He also knew this, that seeking is a more powerful prayer than asking. He says, thank you, Lord. And it says, then he broke the bread and it multiplied in the baskets. I, I try to train myself to spend more time seeking prayers than I do asking prayers. But God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everything you're doing in my life in this day. God, I thank you for just loving me. I thank you. I just start seeking him in prayer. And the power of God to begin to function and flow in your life. He already knows what I need. It says, when I'm seeking in prayer, I've seen it release his hands to do for me, even before I ask. But it still takes prayer. Then there's the knocking prayer. And this knocking prayer we're talking about is Daniel. Like here, the Bible says Daniel went before the Lord for 21 days. And when he, he prayed for this thing, and the first day it didn't happen. He went back the second day and prayed and didn't happen. Now, a knocking prayer works like this. You go before the Lord, you ask Him for something, and then if it doesn't happen, you don't lose faith. You move into seeking and thanking Him for it. If you come to my house and you walk up to my front door and go, and sit there, chances are I live in a pretty loud house. I've got three dogs. I've got three daughters. I've got a wife. I've got all kinds of things going on in my house. Chances are I didn't hear that. You'll be sitting there for a long time. And you would be foolish to do that, but we do that in prayer. We'll ask God for something and just start waiting to see if it's going to take place. But the Bible said Daniel got up the next day and his prayer wouldn't answer, so he got up the next day. And You know the best way to get me to come to my door? And if you don't, if I don't come and didn't hear it, because you'll hear dogs barking all that at that point, do it again. And so that's what prayer is, knocking prayer, is you come in before the Lord and you, you bring Him back before the Lord, what you're thanking Him for doing. Because the Bible says in that story, it says, on the 21st day, an angel of the Lord appeared before Daniel and told him. He says, God heard your prayer on the day one. He said, He sent the answer, but there has been a war in the heavenlies. The enemy heard it as well. And the enemy has been holding back and fighting, but the angels have prevailed and they have gotten your answer and you gave it to him. Just because God didn't answer on your first tap doesn't mean God didn't answer. There is a battle. Prayer is a battle in your life. That's why it's so hard to keep a prayer life. If you don't, if you know, what I'm if you're not on purposeful getting up every day, you're going to have to, and purposely deciding to go to fight battle, because I can prove it to you, but prayer is a battle. Get up in the morning and decide to pray, and watch how many things will take place before you get to your prayer place that try to distract you from that prayer. One, your alarm won't go off, or two, you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and uh, be woken up, so you'll be tired when your alarm goes, you want to just turn it off, or your phone will start going off. I purposely, now I do not, I mean, I, I know it bothers people, I do not answer a text. 
on my phone. I don't take my phone up. Once I get up at 6, I do not touch it until I've dropped my girls off because three things happen in that time. When I get up at 6, I do my prayer. I go and get before the Lord and I try to spend at least 30 minutes. Sometimes it's 20, sometimes it's 30 because by 6.30 I got to be rolling. Then we're getting kids up, getting them dressed, getting them fed breakfast. Then I get them to school. Then I get on my phone. And so that's, I, I used to, I, if my phone got a text, got a call, I would answer it and it would disrupt the most important things in my life. I'm just going to be honest with you. And I realized that this is an attack of the enemy. The enemy's trying to steal things from me. Let me show you, because the Bible says that, that angels were in a war for the prayer. Here in Matthew, this is what the Bible says. Jesus had just come into Jerusalem, and the triumphant entry happened. They just recognized him as king. First thing he does is he goes to the tabernacle, and he walks in, and he doesn't find power in prayer. He finds thieves stealing the power of prayer. And if I'm not careful in my life, the enemy sends thieves into my life. And I can be at the right place at the right time, but I'm allowing the enemy to steal the power of my prayer. Jesus said, this is a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. And I'm telling you, if you don't... See, we think Jesus reacted emotionally here. Most of my life I thought Jesus walked in like, what? And got him a whip and just started whipping his belt off. If you read it in Luke, this is what it says. It said when he walked in and saw what was going on, it says he went and sat in the corner. And he said he made, he began to braid and made a whip. This was not an emotional response. This was a choice that he made. It said then he got up with the whip and he ran them out of the temple. Jesus don't react out of his emotions. And for years, we thought, I thought, that's why he don't. He did. He got up and he said, all right, prayer is such an important thing that I can't let things into my life that would stop it. Because if you, did you know, you can pray and they not get answered. Prayers that are not answered are powerless prayers. But the most powerful force I have on this earth is my prayer life. I can ask for anything, the Bible says. Anything on this earth. And He will do it. You're talking about power. Do you realize the power that God's given you? God has given you so much power. You can ask for anything. You say, well, Craig, I, I, you know, I'm not comfortable with that scripture because I've asked for things and didn't get it. Well, let me ask you this. Could it be because there are thieves in your life stealing the powers of your prayers? And the first thing he had to do was run out the thieves of the temple before Jesus. See, what he was doing, he, the triumphant entry, he walked into Jerusalem to, about to perform his purpose. It was his journey to Calvary. He walked in. The first thing he did is he went and got anything that would stop the power of prayer out of his house. So that he, because you, over the next days of his life, the next week of his life, Jesus depended greatly on prayer. And he depended greatly on the prayer of others. When he got the night before, he was arrested. He was in a garden. And he was asking his clothes to be, pray with me. Pray with me. I truly believe that he knew a week earlier that his prayers had to be powerful. So he had to go get everything that was stealing the power of his prayers out of the house. So he could fulfill the purpose that God had called him to. You know, the devil hasn't changed his nature. 
He's still just as ruthless. He's not gotten soft in his old age. He's, he's just as hateful and just as hard as a young man. I mean, as a young devil as he is as an old devil. And he still gets up every day trying to still kill and destroy things in your life. And you need to understand the only thing that we have that can stop and can bind and hold him back is prayer. The Bible says, what I bind on earth, we bound on earth. What I loose on earth, what I bind on earth, the power that we have. But the devil knows this. That's why he sends, I believe, there in Matthew, why he sent thieves into that temple to steal the power that prayer carries. I believe that's why Daniel, when he prayed that prayer, the enemy sent those attacks against that answer to hold it back. I believe in your life the devil's been sending enemies and attacks against your prayer life. And these aren't... He, listen, if prayer is the most powerful thing I can do, you need to understand he sends his biggest and strongest demons and battles against you for your prayer. I call them spiritual giants. I think he uses his spiritual giants to come against our prayer lives. And so, if I know the devil can do that, and he can hinder my prayers, and he can stop my prayers to get me discouraged from praying, and if I get me to draw back in my prayer, then what takes place is I'm giving him the power. The Bible says this, Jesus said, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. Man, we have keys to unlock any door that is according to the purpose of God on your, on your life in this place. But most of us don't even show up to use them. So the devil sends giants into your life. Do you know in the Bible, any time that there was going to be a great conquering, a great promotion, or even conquering the promised land, the devil uses giants to keep you back. When the children of Israel came up to the promised land, they went in and spied. The devil sent giants into the promised land, and it discouraged ten of the twelve. The devil uses his biggest and his best to try to keep you from stepping into what God has for you, to try to keep you from moving into the destiny God has for you to do it. And it it all starts with prayer. Nothing, God does nothing on this planet without prayer happening first. So he's going to send his giants into your life to fight you in these areas. There's actually six giants that are mentioned in the Old Testament. And I believe these six giants are what the enemy uses to try to stop you and having your prayers powerful. And the first one, I'm going to read it to you, is, uh, and then I'm going to lay it over, I'm going to take each one and lay them into the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to take the six giants and see how they're affecting your prayer life. But I want to start with the first one in Deuteronomy 3, chapter 11. And this one's name is Og. You know, I picture him probably looking like Shrek because of just his name, you know. But in Deuteronomy 3, chapter 11, this is what it says. It says, For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnants of the giants. Now, this is the first giant specifically named in the Bible. And you got to know that giants were always sent to stop God's people from taking and going forward into what God had for them. Giants were in the promised land. When it came to the children of Israel with David and Goliath, they would send the giant out, and the giant intimidated the entire army. One giant intimidated the whole army. There's giants that the enemy sends into our lives that try to keep us from using the greatest power that we have, which is prayer. Jesus, before he started his in his ascension to the cross, he had to first go get all the thieves, everything that was stealing, out of the house of prayer. 
And so here we find this guy named Og. And what it says about him is this. Two things. Number one, he's the king. And I truly believe that this giant is still king giant. This is the giant that the devil uses in people's lives more to keep them from beating and having what God has for them in this life. He's holding you out of your promises. He's holding you out of the promised land. He's keeping you from being anointed. He's keeping you from going forward and taking your, uh, killing the giant. He's doing, uh, this is the giant, King Og. He's king. Through him, all the rest come. And his name is Og. And you know what it says here about him? doesn't tell how pretty or ugly. What it says is simply this. It says this. It says that, Indeed, his bedstand was as an iron bedstand. It says, It was nine cubits. It, is, it was its length. And four cubits was its width, according to the standard of cubit. Now, I want to show you real quick what a cubic is. In Bible they didn't have tape measures. So when they built, they worked off of a cubit. A cubit is six man's hands. In other words, they call this a man's a hand's breadth, and a cubit is, they would do it, it would go one, and if you have a normal sized body, <laughs> it almost works this way perfectly for every person. You can even try it now. You would take your hand, and you would put it at the crease of your arm, at the elbow, and it would go one, two, three, Four, five, and if you've got a normal, it's the, it's the six. Um, there's six hands breaths in a man's, in a cubit. Six. And so that's why they would measure. They would, everything. So this bed was roughly 13 foot long. All right, so he had a 13 foot long bed. This was a giant. And he was the, he was the king of giants. And all we know about this giant is this. He liked to sleep a lot. Because he doesn't tell us anything he ever did. Just tell him about his bed. And so I've watched this giant come in and steal the power of prayer out of people's lives. In my mind, when I think of this giant, I figure he dressed like this. You know, we dug up and, and all we could find in all the archive or in the... It was one of his shoes because he's probably too lazy to take the other one off. All right. But this giant steal the devil sends into our lives to steal our prayer lives. It's a giant of complacency. It's a giant that truly the Bible says has the power of taking your power of your prayer. Because the Bible says this, it's the effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man that avails much. Not just righteous people praying when they feel like it or when they're going through something or when they need something. It says the effectual fervent, the passionate, the aggressive, the on purpose, the disciplined, the one that gets up in the morning and says, I may not feel like praying today, but I am not going to let Og keep my prayers from having any power. I'm going to effectually pray. There's probably about five days a year I wake up wanting to pray. The rest of the days I decide I'm going to pray. Because if this giant is allowed to live in your house of prayer, he will steal every bit of the power that God has given you to do anything for him on this earth. The giant of just complacency, que sera, sera, 
You know, I'll, I'll pray when I need it. You know what I'm saying? I'll pray when I'm broke. I'll pray when I'm sick. But prayer, really? It's just, so this is the first John, and I'm telling you. And all the other giants we're about to talk about are going to come through this one. If you allow this one to stay in your house, you're going to find your prayers not going any higher than the ceiling. If you're laying flat on your back when you should be laying flat on your face, you are missing the greatest power that God has ever given you. And so this all has got to be defeated. But then another, the other, there's five other giants that are mentioned in the Old Testament. And I believe that this is the king giant. I believe this one is the one the enemy uses as a door to get all the rest of them in to stop your prayers from happening. But I'm here to tell you this. If you will decide today to no longer allow your life to be a den of thieves, you're tired of the devil stealing the power of your prayers. You're tired of the devil getting the future of your children. You're tired of the devil getting your finances and your health. You're tired. Then you're going to decide that I'm no longer going to let Og be my king. I'm going to rise up in the morning. I'm going to stay at before I go to bed at night. And prayer is going to be something that I'm going to do. Then you decide to tackle these next five giants. You will. There's nothing. There is nothing. Joshua said this. He said, and I, I'm going to show you the principle of Joshua. Joshua said. Lord, had the sun stand still, and it stood still. That's a powerful prayer. And so the first one is all. The next giant mentioned in the Bible is mentioned in First um, Samuel chapter seventeen. His name is Goliath. Now, Goliath, the word actually means soothsayer. In the Old Testament, they would name people, and their names usually meant what they did or their destiny or their personality or their character. And so Goliath was a giant. The Bible talks about how big he was and how intimidating he was and all this. But giant, he, his job, he was a soothsayer. Let me show you what a soothsayer does. The Bible says the soothsayer got up every morning and would walk before the children of Israel and tell them how little their God was and how big he was. How little their God was. And how big he was. And then the Bible says he did that every morning. And then in turn he would get up every evening. And come before the children of Israel. And tell them how little your God is. And how big your enemy is. How big your God, little your God is. How big your enemy is. And the Bible says that every one of the soldiers that were trained for war. That were dressed for battle. That were able to actually come down and fight. All listened to what he said. For so long they believed him. I'm here to tell you this. The devil has sent Goliath into your life from the day you can remember. And he's had people tell you what they thought about you. They've had people tell you what you were going to be able to do. They had people tell you how smart you were, how unsmart you are, how good for nothing, how just like your daddy, how you'll never be, you can't have. They've told you all of these things. And you have listened to them. Every morning and every night. And you've allowed this giant to hold you back. But the Bible says this, and we're going to lay these giants over the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said that if you'll pray, there's nothing God can't do. And the Bible, he said this, so Jesus said this. He said, when you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. All right, so it doesn't matter who, what, or when they said it about you. 
it ain't true. You need to find out what the Father has said about you. And this is what the Word says. The Bible says, He says, Father, turn and hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You need to understand this. God's will is the exact same as God's Word. God's will and His Word are the exact same. See, the problem with when it comes to fighting the battle of Goliath in your prayer life is if you don't know God's will, how are you praying? The very first thing God told you to do was to pray the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. And if you don't know God's will, you're praying your own wants, your own desires, what you'd like to, what you need to. But see, there's no power in any of that. The power is in God's Word. And if you'll pray God's Word, then it will release the power in your prayer to defeat Goliath that's been telling you everything the devil's wanted you to hear. You're either going to be what the soothsayer says, or you're going to know what the Word of God says. And what you choose to listen to and think about. and See, Joshua, he had a major insecurity problems. He was way not able to handle the responsibility and jobs and calling on his life. But the Bible said this, Joshua, if you'll meditate on the Word day and night, and you don't let these words depart out of your mouth, everything you do will prosper, and everything you do will be a great success, is what he told him in Joshua 1.8. So he's saying this, you're going to have to get everything, the Goliath, the soothsayer, your past, your, your family, your enemies, the people that you thought were good there for you, the people that you thought were your enemies, that everything that everyone has ever said to you, for you, and about you, you've got to replace it with what God's will is in your life. And when you get to where you're praying God's will, you will start having it on earth and it won't be stuck up in heaven. The problem is we don't know what God's will is. Oh God, please, my marriage is so bad. What does the Word say about your marriage? If you can't pray God's Word, you will never get God's will. And so you've got to choose that Goliath, the soothsayer. Well, he's never going to change God. You know him. No, God can change anyone. You've got to find out how God's Word will change you. You've got to decide that Goliath is not going to tell you your future. Goliath is not going to tell you how big he is and how little your God is. You're going to get in the Word and you're going to start telling Goliath how big your God is and how meaningless and pathetic he is. The only person that was able to defeat that giant that day was the one that hadn't been listening to him for 40 days. He'd been in the wilderness talking to God. He'd been in the wilderness worshiping and praying. We know David was a prayer. Because when you read the Psalms, every one of his songs is written like a prayer. So he was a prayer. And so instead of him sitting back and listening to this giant every day, Goliath telling what he's not, telling what he can't, telling what's going to happen to him, he was talking to God, finding out what God's Word says and seeing what God was doing. When he stepped up in front of Goliath and Goliath said, you can't, he said, oh, I will. Because my God is what He said. So you've got to first realize that every thought that the enemy has ever tried to say about you in your life, if it isn't what the Word of God says, it's not true. That means it's going to, you're going to have to kick Og out and you're going to have to get in your Bible. I'm going to be honest with you. You're not going to be able to get on your knees powerfully unless you've been in your Bible too. You've got to have the Word of God to pray the will of God to release it on earth as it is in heaven. So, Goliath is the first one. He's the sincere. But Goliath wasn't the only 
giant. The Bible says in Samuel chapter 17, verse 40, it says that David, before he went and fought Goliath, he went down to a river and he reached down and he pulled up five smooth stones. Some people believe that he got five in case he missed the first time. I don't believe that. He was a praying man. He knew what prayer could do. And so I believe he got the five smooth stones because he knew Goliath has four brothers. And he knew that once he killed the big one, he was going to have the next one to deal with and the next one to deal with. And he was going to have... Because that's what's happened. When once David killed Goliath, Goliath's four brothers made it their mission in life to defeat David. And it wasn't until David killed all the other four giants that he was able to have peace in that area of his life. So we're going to look at those other four giants real quick. If you'll go to... The other four glass brothers are found in Second Samuel chapter 21, verse 15. Y'all got time for me to read this, or you want me to just go at their names? You want to read it later? I'll read the, uh, the First Chronicles. It's in 2, two by First Chronicles 21, 4. It says this, And now it happened after war broke out at Gezer with the Philistines, at which time Sabah, you got to say his word, Sabaka, uh, yeah. it, it's weird how it's like everybody that uh, in the Bible should have starred in Lord of the Rings, huh? You know? But uh, their names are all so weird. The Hittite killed Sippa, who was one of the sons of the giant, and they had that they had subdued. Again, there was a war with the Philistines, and Elihim, the son of Jar, killed Lemmi, the brother of Goliath, the Gentile, or the Gittite. And the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yet again, there was a war at Gath where there was a man of great stature with 24 fingers and toes, six on each hand and six on each foot. He also was born of the giants. So when he defeated Israel, Jonathan, son of Sama, David's brother, killed him. These were born the giants of Gath, and they fell by the hand of David, and they fell by the hand of his servants. Now, that name three, we've got to jump over um, to Second uh, Samuel to get the other one's name. It says, And when the Philistines war at the war with Israel, David and his servants with him went down to fight against the Philistines, and David grew faint. And Ishbenob is the way. Ishbenob, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was, was there, was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David, but Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid. Those are the four brothers of Goliath. First, I believe, Og is sent to take steal the powers of your prayer. If you allow Og to be in your house, you're not going to have powerful prayers. Number two, Goliath was sent to try to speak your speak words, as Daniel says it, against the Most High. He's spoken opposite of what God's Word is says. So you to pray God's will means you're going to have to pray God's Word. You've got to defeat Goliath of every word that has been spoken over you in your entire past. Next, you're going to have to go after this one. His name is um, Ispanon. No, I'm sorry, Limina. Limina. Now, again, the Bible says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is how you pray a powerful prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. You got to get Goliath out. So you know what the way you get Goliath out. There's nothing more powerful. You can't think, hope, want to bad enough to defeat a lie from the devil in your life. The only thing more powerful than a lie of the devil in your life is the word of God in the same area. That's why when Jesus, the devil came against Jesus in the wilderness, and he said, why don't you do this? 
Jesus didn't say, because I don't want to, or I'm not going to do that. Or, no, I'm not. He said, it is written. The only way to defeat the voice of the devil, the soothsayer in your life, is with the Word of God, which is the will of God. And when you learn to pray the Word of God, which is the will of God, power is released. The Bible says, He gave His Word, and it will never return void without fulfilling what it was sent to do. You have to defeat Goliath. Quit praying your wants. Start praying His will. That means get in the Word and find it. Next is Lemai. The word Lemha comes from, it actually means the keeper of the bread. Now, if the devil can't get you to not pray, and the devil can't get you to believe what he said about you, the next thing the devil's going to do is send a giant into your prayer life to try to hold back the things that God has for you. We saw that with Daniel. Daniel prayed, and he was holding back the answer. This, this giant's name actually means keeper of the bread. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, the next part of it says this, Give me this day my daily bread. If you allow the devil to hold what belongs to you, he'll do it. That's why the Bible says when the thief is caught, he must repay sevenfold. He will hold every blessing. And if you allow him, if you're okay with being broke, if you're okay with being sick, if you're okay with being depressed, if you're okay, then you're going to get to stay that way. But if you're not okay, God said that you go after that, that the, the keeper of the bread. You go after this giant. And you know how you get after that giant? You get on your knees and say, Father, give me this day my daily bread. The Bible says this, healing is the children's bread. If you're sick, then you get down and say, God, I ask you to heal me. I think that your word says in 1 Peter 2, 24, by your stripes, I am healed. And so I take right now my bread from you. And I say, give it to me, God. I'm not going to just rely on a doctor. And I'm not going to rely on a vitamin. I'm not going to rely on a mask. I'm going to rely on Jesus. And I'm going to ask him to keep me well, safe, and out of danger. I'm going to ask you for my daily bread. Because if you let the devil keep it, he will. What is your constitution? And I, well, oh, well, I prayed about it and he didn't give it to me. Then you're getting defeated by this giant. Because he was sent specifically to... He was sent to keep you broke. He was sent to keep you broken down. You know how more effective a Christian with money is? Than one asking for it? Let me, they, you, you know, I'm not a prosperity preacher. I tell this all the time. Do I believe in prosperity? Yes, I don't, I'm not a prosperity preacher. I believe, I'm a gospel preacher. But I believe there's prosperity in the gospel. Because Jesus said this, that we um, were to lay hands on the sick and stand for but it says we're to give the gospel to the poor. In other words, that's supposed to change their life. And, make it, and, and if you've got a problem with it, you know, this is what the Bible says in Psalms 35, 27. It says, Let them shout for joy and be glad, whose favor my righteous, is my righteous cause. Let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of His servants. God wants to bless you beyond what you can even imagine. problem is, you're only going to get what you don't, what you decide the devil don't get to keep. Because he's going to send things into your life to try to keep your finances. And you ever tried to tithe? 